0: You are listening to episode 219 of the Game Deflators podcast. My name's John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey,
1: everybody here at the Game Deflators podcast, we like to talk about games. We've recently picked up games we're currently playing, and we talk it off with voice actor Mark Witten in this week's episode of the Game Deflators. All
0: right, so uh, we are joined by voice actor Mark Witten, who uh, we actually met at Ucon uh, back this October, and uh, Mark was happy to join us for an episode and just kind of talk voice acting, talk industry, and really talk video games. Mark, how are you doing? Yes,
2: indeed. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. It's uh, so nice to be on here and chatting with you.
0: It's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, I know we were planning this back in, obviously, October, and then we touched base in what was like December, I think, to have you on, and here we are in January. And yeah. Having you come on.
2: Whole new year. Kick it off. Yeah.
0: Great start to 2023. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, actually, very good start 2023 to have Mark on. So, uh, Mark, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, some of the roles that you've done, uh, how long you've been in the industry, uh, anything that you're doing, like a podcast, your YouTube twitter anything along those lines just kind of throw it all at us right now and yeah uh, we can get that out of the way and move on to the
2: nitty-gritty details here sure all right i'll so, uh i'll bullet point my life here uh really quick uh no <laughs> so um yeah i gosh i've been voice acting for probably about um eight years now i've been living out in la around like 10 ish um and, and really kind of sunk into the industry after having been here for a couple of years. I was pursuing film before that. I was pursuing theater. I've kind of always been like a, a, a an entertainment-bound kid uh, since I, you know, growing up. I, I kind of always knew I wanted to pursue something like this in the entertainment field. Uh, and I had two older brothers, and I would do whatever they told me to. So, you know, uh, it was a very, very um, impressionable and... Uh, uh, attention-seeking youth, <laughs> and that—that that of course landed me into the entertainment business. Um, gosh, uh, some of the notable things that I've done that uh, folks might know me from anime like uh, Demon Slayer, where I play Rangoku, or Genshin Impact, uh, Genshin Impact, where I play Kazuha, uh, Fire Emblem: Three Houses and Hopes, where I play Sedith, uh, Street Fighter Five, where I play Alex. Um, Home Adventures with tip and O on Netflix, where I play uh, O, and a bunch of other things. Uh, just kind of that uh, are probably easier found on the IMDb page or in little tidbits of information as we continue on chatting. um Gosh, uh, yeah, I've I've always known that I kind of wanted to pursue this and. Uh, it's funny, the entertainment business just kind of takes you in a lot of different directions, or at least I've found that. Um, so in my pursuit of one thing, another thing pops up, and I start going after that. And you kind of find out where where you fit, more or less. And, and I don't know. I mean, right now, it's voiceover. Who knows? In, in a while, maybe I'll be doing something else. <laughs> um, but for the moment, it's actually been a really good uh, kind of fruitful career. Um, running at this aspect of the business, and I'm really enjoying it. I love the community. Uh, I love the work that we get to do. I am a big video game and animation fan myself, so I really love being a part of that creatively. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of funny wherever it, it takes you, and it's certainly taken me a, a lot of different places, um, and, and it's been an interesting road to get to this point. So.
0: So in in what you've done in your career, what was like the first role that really lit your passion to move forward into voice acting and continue on in this career?
2: Oh gosh. Um the first uh, uh there are a lot of things. I guess like um, I don't know. I've uh, like I said that that's whole like performers drive where I've I've always just wanted to be involved. That that inspiration probably just comes from like you know, games that I've played, and different you know voice acting and acting heroes that I've had, but I guess the thing that really got me um, involved more deeply in voiceover was was Home Adventures with Tip and O. When I booked that role, and um, you know, before that, I had I had watched like I know that voice, and I'd been listening to things like Vo Buzz Weekly, and really kind of doing research and getting more acquainted with the industry as a whole. Um, and I was a big fan of like Futurama and The Simpsons and things like that. So I had a lot of like voice acting heroes, uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. I, you know, like I had people that I just absolutely loved their work in the industry. When I got onto home, it was kind of this sort of dream come true because suddenly I was working with a lot of people that were really big in the business. Like Tom Kenny was on the show. Nolan North was on the show. Um, Greg Griffin and uh, Kevin Michael Richardson. Like there were a lot of folks on the show that I was like, Oh, that's that's years in the future that I'll get to work with, uh, with them. And suddenly doing this project and um, you know, Ryan Kriego and Thurup Van Orman uh, who created the show uh, had enough belief in me to, uh, to be there with with Rachel as as one of the two leads of this project. And uh, it was it was wild because it was one of the first uh VO credits I I had. Um and I had been granted, I had been auditioning for like a couple years before I before I booked anything. Uh which is another thing for anyone who's like in into um entertainment, voice acting, whatever. Sometimes it does take forever of banging your head against a wall. And then the wall kind of cracks a little bit in a place. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's something that was, it was kind of this zero to 60 moment that I was not expecting. And, and it really, like, made me think, oh, my gosh, I I, I, I got to learn from people in the booth, like, like Tom and Nolan, who are just experts at what they do and that really inspired me to be like oh well maybe i can really do this and and i feel like i i have a a little seat at the table for the moment and i get to i get to play in this space and we ended up running for like four seasons and we had a christmas special and i love christmas so (laughs) everything was fantastic (laughs) awesome that's great holiday special i should say it's it's actually it's really great um i got to sing with kelly clarkson that's nice. actually pretty I got, cool. I got to yeah. sing adjacent to Kelly Clarkson. She recorded <laughs> at a different time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, and for I, and and they don't really in voice acting. They don't I, they used to, right? Like you would be kind of in the same kind of booth area, right? But now it's more like, okay, come in, you don't necessarily get to interact with other voice actors on yeah. a day-to-day basis, right? It
2: depends on the project, uh, actually. So things like, you know, dubbing video games, a lot of that um you're recording single session you're you're just and even in animation, I've done a lot of um guest roles uh, here and there where it's just me in session with the voice directors and the creative team and uh, but on home, we actually Rachel and I um recorded together most of the time and it was it was interesting. they had it set up where they would have sometimes like four of us in the same room and it was just like just don't step on each other's lines. you know you kind of have that, awareness to leave a little bit of space, but it was fantastic being in the same booth with everybody. Um, but it, it definitely is not the norm on on projects that I've worked on. Um, but man, it was fantastic because you get that energy right in there and you get to watch people work. And even if they were like recording someone that they needed to get in and out, I would be able to step out into uh, into the room with everyone and get to like watch them perform um which was fantastic there were some cool guest stars that were that were on uh as well and so i got to like you know see a lot of a lot of different folks do their thing uh which i always find very helpful to see how everyone else is you know doing it see what um what they're bringing to it uh beyond just the voice their physicality how they're how they're working in the booth
1: that sounds like the dream experience like that's the one that people would imagine or would want to really get out of it. Not necessarily just the you in a box experience.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I feel like I feel like that is exactly that. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, you've done like a ton of characters. And I mean, it sounds like that was like a really special project for you. Um, you know, are there any others that really stand out as memorable or like any performances you think that were like particularly strong of yours? Oh,
2: gosh. Uh, yes. Actually, I forgot to mention it before because you, uh, John, you had asked, um, some of the things that, uh, some of the other things I'm doing like podcasts and I do have two podcasts that, um, that I ended up making with, uh, my good friend, Travis McMaster, who's a fantastic writer. Um, one thing that I really like doing, uh, in, in getting into the entertainment industry is, uh, trying to make your own work, which is uh, a lot of folks will tell you like, do that, even if it goes nowhere, um, make your own stuff. And so, uh, Travis is a writer. has a lot of fantastic stories to tell. And I wanted to, um, I had made a web series before and I was like, this is way too much (laughs) there's there way too many moving parts for me um i want something that we could have more uh direct creative control over and that we could make sure got done on our own time because it's it's like i'm not a good producer so it's like herding cats was not a thing that i could do i love cats i have two of them but um (laughs) but herding them is is an impossibility uh so being able to make something on our own like these podcasts which are um the theater of tomorrow and the hotel one's a sci-fi anthology and one's a horror podcast. And they're like radio plays. We were going based on like um, things like like old twilight zone episodes, but Travis is also a very uh, eighties, nineties, even the seventies or like around that area, sci-fi aficionado. And so he injects a lot of uh, that sort of uh, aesthetic into a lot of the stories um, and we are like, we can just tell these stories through, uh, audio drama and we, I can, I can add, do the sound editing, add sound effects. I can, I know a bunch of voice actors. We can get in and really get this going. And it's just like, it's Travis and I just controlling it. And so we were able to like really make some projects come to life. And I say that because getting back to the whole well, work I love some of the performances that we got out of that podcast and and still get out of the podcast. Those are some characters that are very near and dear to me. Um, And I think it's because they are like personal creations. They're things that I got to do and workshop and come up with. Um, And it was it's definitely one of those places that I practiced and experimented uh and i thought there were a lot of things a lot of strong things that came out of that it sounds very much like i'm like tooting my own horn <laughs> i am my best director but like <laughs> there's something like personally special about a piece of art that you create um uh and, and that that has something slightly different it has a lot of my own personality attached to it um and uh and so that those are very special to me. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I think a lot of those performances, a couple others that uh, that are personal favorites of mine. Um, there's so many I, um, that I love, but uh, I was a, I, I I loved Star Control back in the day. I don't know if you know that that old game.
0: Uh, I actually have that game in the original cardboard box on the Sega fan. Freaking tastic. Yes. You know, Ryan, <laughs> maybe maybe we play that this week. Actually, we play Star Control. Okay, I think. Oh, I thought he froze for a second. <laughs> <I was laughs> like, no, no, now his internet. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we play Star Control there. That's what yeah. we do. Unless we already played it, I can't remember. We'll have to look back at our episodes. Yep. So, Start, so, yeah, Star yeah.
2: Control Two was a game I I, I played uh, as a kid, and they made a they did a recent addition to it, a, a new version of Star Control, and there was a, a race called the Pinthe and i was super excited to go in and record for that project um it's it's like a mildly otherworldly sort of doctor evil sounding uh um <laughs> voice of this uh this weird hive mind and that was delightful uh there's another one from elder scrolls online that i had the the good fortune to play uh arox the mutilator Ooh. who is uh yeah fantastic uh, it's, great it's, name a- a giant, uh, a giant demon, a giant Daedra, who is trapped in a rat body.
0: Um, I might ask you to do a voice, but your
2: neighbors might be like, what's going on? <laughs> he's, I can well, seal the door. I will shred your ankles! Like that sort of thing. He's just, I mean, he has a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful complex. Uh, because he's still, he just has like a little squirrely, weird, raspy rat voice. But he has all all the bravado of the giant uh, terror that he once was. Oh, god! I loved playing him. He was he was fantastic. And then, like from I don't know if you guys know the the game Smite, but there's a recent mm-hmm. addition to Smite. They skin a lot of their characters, and there's the Bach Bach Horus, who's just a ridiculous chicken and uh, farmer chicken. Um, and that is, uh, like, uh, (laughs) had such a fun time to like, yeah, I like to do a lot of weird, intense things. Um, so yeah, that was a lot of fun. I mean, honestly, I could probably, I can find something about almost every character that I've done that I really like. Um, and every, every one of them is an opportunity to like explore something new. So yeah, there, there are a lot that go without mention because maybe they're not Super popular in uh, in in the way that Demon Slayer is, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, they have different niches. Oh, um, I guess to that end, I was at a con once Wasabi Con, I want to say in Jacksonville. And one of the things that made my heart skip a beat is when I was it was right around that time that Aliens Fireteam Elite had released. And I I play uh, Dr. Tim Honaker in that and it's kind of based on some of the aliens fanfic and i was super stoked to be part of the aliens franchise but like aliens fire team is not necessarily for the anime crowd <laughs> um it's a different a little bit of a different audience but there was like one girl and her dad and they were like oh my god that's how we bond and they're like in the in the middle of the of one of the panels and they totally knew what i was talking about and i was like
1: oh my gosh Aww. that's like,
2: warms my heart cause <laughs> I I love so many different genres of games and to have someone who had like that crossover genre and I had a really fun time recording with that team too. So when they like knew what I was talking about and they were like, oh yeah, we love, we love you in that game. I was like, <laughs> ah, that's so wonderful. I'm so glad.
1: Because <laughs> also like,
2: yeah, I feel like it's one of those things where you know, a lot of people get on to, to online. They talk about things like Genshin and Fire Emblem, but there's not necessarily a ton of chat rooms about Aliens Fire Team. Uh, it's a different sort of game, and it's a different sort of uh, sort of audience. And it's not like, I guess, otaku it might be the right right phrase for it in the same way that some of those others are.
0: Gotcha, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, um kind of going into video games a little deeper yeah. what is a video game character you would really want to voice if there was a remake of a particular ip Ah, okay
2: i'm giving this some thought um a i good am one. i am a big fan of stephen russell uh he voiced a lot of characters in a lot of games that were very near and dear to me growing up and um uh if they remade thief and i got to play garrett I think that that would be freaking awesome. And I love what, um, they did actually, you know, they actually, uh, remade for Thief 4. They, um, they didn't use Steven. They used another, another guy who did a great job as well. Um, you watch, I think there was something associated cause they were doing PCAP for it and they had strongly considered Steven, uh, to come back, but they ultimately ended up going in another direction, such as life in the entertainment business, um, but when I was growing up playing that game was God, I, I loved it so much. And there was something special that he, he brought to it this very, um, everything was very like whispered and quiet, almost like Garrett was constantly in the shadows. And, but there was also this sort of sly, uh, scoundrel-ish charm to him. Um, and, and Steven did a great job with that in, in the original games. Um, and i really I just really loved it, and of course some of the some of the voices on the side for like the hammers um and, and the guards are so freaking funny um if anyone's out there like wanting to do a deep dive go and and look up some of them. It is like classic old game old gaming stuff, and uh I don't know, it really like kind of juiced my imagination, so that and or I know like. Corvo as well is something he played. Um, so like in Dishonored, same sort of similar, Corvo's a little bit of a different uh, different beast, but I'd have to go with Garrett. I, I thought of two others, which I am hesitant to say, because I think it's uh, my, my number two choice, which I don't think they should be voiced anyways, would be Gordon Freeman oh. from Half-Life, just because Half-Life is fantastic. Yeah. Although... If I were like, if they were like, Mark, you're voicing Gordon Freeman, I think I'd probably have a bit of a heart attack and stay well away from the internet because it seems like a very big uh, undertaking. Yeah. Yeah. That's (laughs) a lot of weight. It'll be Half-Life.
0: It'll be Half-Life
2: 3. Uh, That's (laughs) a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Half-Life, probably never. Um, (laughs) A full Half-Life before we ever get a game release. or this is another one. I don't know if I'd be able to pull it off, uh, but I think it'd be fun to give it a try would be Max Payne.
0: Oh, that'd be a cool one.
2: Yeah. Right. Like, God, I love those games so much. And he's just, that's another... ripe for a remake too. Right. It is very, very ripe for a remake. And I find him to be such a, such a cool, um, complex, you know, co- we- He's, he's obviously he's got that sort of um, almost, quote unquote, one note quality to him because you're like, I know who this guy is. He's just like he's a he's a crazy, um, you know, uh, he's he's also a kind of crazy scoundrelish character. But there's so many layers to what he has been through and that sort of tortured, uh, tortured life, tortured history that he has. Um, I don't know. I just think there'd be a lot of cool uh, ground to cover with a character like that.
1: Yeah. So uh, you already said you're into anime and games, you know, outside Mm -hmm. of your professional. So, like, what have you been playing or watching
2: recently? Oh, boy. Uh, Okay. So (laughs) a lot. My tastes are kind of all over the place. Yeah. I play a lot of games with my brothers as well. That's kind of how we stay up with each other, cool. uh, in the video game realm, uh, Victoria three. So starting off with a nice, like economic simulator spreadsheets and all man, <laughs> but I've been sinking, a, a a number of hours into that. I, I feel like it gives me a whole new respect for economics <laughs> and, <laughs> and just the impossible nature of it. Um, yeah, there's something about games like that, like Vicky and Stellaris and Civilization. Um, I love like the, the music of those games actually draws me in a lot, um, and then I, I find myself just kind of getting lost in like in in, in empire management, and uh, yeah, it's a very very fun game. Very frustrating though uh, to, to to kind of figure out how all the all the bells and whistles work. Have um, you uh,
0: messed with Factorio at all? No, I haven't. Oh my God. You'd love it then. Uh, yeah. Just based on what, oh yeah. Like you're building a factory and you oh, just have okay. power grids and electrical connections and everything else. And like yes. mining supplies to essentially like the end goal of like these aliens that are on this planet. Essentially that are attacking your, your factory is to build enough things to be able to create a rocket ship so you can launch off of a planet. Oh, this sounds fantastic! Your entire goal is like mining resources, (laughs) developing things, automation, like all of that, and then like trying to figure out like okay, I need a battery. Well, what are the like four things that create a battery? Well, I need those four things, but what are the things that make those four things? And automating that so trickle down effect in this factory. So just
2: based on those few games you noted, I think you absolutely love Factorio. Yeah, for sure, for sure. There's something like very satisfying about making an efficient machine, isn't Mm -hmm. there? hmm. Right. You know, funny enough, when I was like when I was a kid and I think you're pretty close to our
0: age, too. So you probably uh, dove in these, but like SimCity. Mm hmm. Yeah. SimCity was a huge game for me growing up and StarCraft as well. Yeah. Uh, just yeah, yeah. like the RTS movement and, and building in general was always a blast.
2: Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Early like Warcraft one was, uh, I think, what got me first introduced to Blizzard. And th- that was really fun. Mm -hmm. god that was so fun (laughs) like like just kind of setting up the base and i mean even even before the fighting i was like oh i just want to like build stuff oh i want to upgrade people (laughs) like (laughs) there's just something about logistics
0: that's just so satisfying (laughs) right you know the scary thing is one of the first uh like experiences i had with like a real-time strategy game was playing command and conquer on the playstation one you'll never realize how difficult a real-time strategy game is with a controller until you've played that game i can't even imagine it was going terrible. through that
2: yeah, yeah I, I think i'm a little skeptical because they put a couple of these they put uh things like Ste- civ and stellaris onto consoles and I'm i like, played how? civ
1: on ps1 that was my first one and it was my friend showed me how to do everything. So I got kind of the cheat sheet. I didn't
2: have to figure it out myself. Right. Right. But it's like, it's just hard to navigate some of those. Cause it's very much, you have to be, you're kind of in menus and, uh, and, and sifting through, um through different buildings and cities and stuff like that. To manage. Like it's gotta be a pain in the butt with a controller. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. God bless them for mapping it. But come on. <laughs> they made it uh, happen. They did. They did. Uh, let's see some of the others that have been on my list. Uh, Genshin, of course. Uh, that's kind of like my fiance and I as a, as a as a decompression thing, and plus staying up with uh, things. Uh, I've been playing a lot of Division Two uh, with my brothers, which I actually really. It's it's a very satisfying uh, feeling to that game. I had not played the first Division, and uh, getting into the second one, I, I love how they I love how they do the model of DC um i'm curious if nyc is also like a one for one unfortunately they don't go up into the places of nyc that i used to live in Mm. like around in like can we get a division queens i actually (laughs) we were joking we were like can we get the like division pasadena edition so that (laughs) it's like the kindest division it's it's you're not really not really shooting much you're just kind of going to coffee shops um yeah, so I've been sinking into that one. And then uh, I just recently kicked off Disco Elysium. Uh, and that is, man, that is fantastic. I, I can't believe I didn't give that one a try earlier. Um, but yeah, you can kind of see like, <laughs> I'm a little all over the place between Genshin, Vicky, Disco. Um, <clears throat> and uh, Disco does just a lot of, Things building off of the uh, the kind of point and click detective adventures, and and really giving a whole uh, a whole new dimension to that to that sort of uh, exploration of that isometric um, world. And I, I love the voice in your head. I love the sort of like constant uh different checks that are happening based upon how you built yourself based upon what your skills are um and the art style is just gorgeous and the world they've kind of built out i find myself like looking up i don't know if you have have you've had a chance to play it at all i was actually going to ask
0: you if you're playing it on <laughs> pc or console but i can imagine you're probably doing pc pc yeah 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 uh, i haven't yet i know my brother did he enjoyed it tremendously and it's on yeah. my list it's uh actually on my amazon list to purchase on like playstation but now that i have a new gpu
2: i think pc is probably the way to go with this with yeah. in that point and click kind of style game i think it's i think it's um i think it's old enough now that you probably don't need to necessarily like most systems are going to destroy it you know so I, the <laughs> gpu i was running
0: um let's see i think it was a like nvidia 400 for a while here it Mm -hmm. was like ancient i think i was getting 20 frames per second at most on this thing (laughs) um and like i had the intentions because the thing is i built my pc when the gpu shortage is happening with covid just kicked in uh you had all the cryptocurrencies going crazy so everybody's Mm -hmm. buying (laughs) gpus to mine crypto and uh So I I waited like two years, essentially. So I built my PC and was like, I need the bare minimum. What will function? What can I do a podcast with? And just general stuff. And then when a GPU becomes available, I'll buy it. Well, two years later, that's kind of where I ended up with a new GPU. So, yeah, yeah, it it wasn't necessarily a matter of like, I couldn't play it because I know my PC could have handled it. It was just kind of like, I don't want to mess with PC until I'm like set in stone with like a good GPU. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. But now I have no excuse, so now I got to play disco. Definitely,
2: it's so good. That's kind of like that's that's become my uh, my traveling game now. Whenever I'm going like on on the road to con, since I it it runs well enough on the laptop, it's easy enough that I can play on the on the airplane without having to like, <clears throat> you know, really worry about my dexterity. In a way, it's that nice engaging story. Um, yeah, I found myself. I was gonna say, there's there's so many things I find myself looking up, um, but I feel like in a way they've just the writers they they, they like created this deep lore that uh, and and possibly even like words and whatnot. I've I've been um, I feel like there is just a lot of creative license that they've been taking, and uh, and it's fantastic. It just I love I love seeing like this window into a very messy chaotic brain, um, <laughs> and uh, I don't know. There's something really special about about the game. Um, I kind of can't wait to get deeper, even deeper into it. Um, well, you know what? As soon as I do
0: Factorio, that might be my next game. Because <laughs> I mean, you just kind of hyped it up a little more for me. Yeah. it's it's been on that list. It's oh. just not one that I had a chance yet.
2: It's very so. good, very good, definitely. Nice.
0: Uh, from an anime perspective, anything that you're watching right now or looking forward to?
2: I'm um, looking forward to more Demon Slayer. It's honestly Ooh. like not just because I'm in it, but like it's one of my favorites. <laughs> um, uh, gosh, uh, it's funny, games take up uh, a lot of my time, so I actually don't watch as much TV as I do play different games. Um, so gosh, is there anything else? Honestly, beyond just, uh, beyond just like watching the anime, like uh, watching Demon Slayer, I know that like reading it and getting the manga has been another thing that has been on my list as well to kind of get that extra experience also to, uh, not have so many spoilers at my, <laughs> whenever I'm at cons, yeah. uh, to kind of like just dive into that. Um, gosh, what are some other things, you know, one that's been on my list for a while, uh that i haven't gotten to and i feel like it's been said to me many a time and it's older but death note i've never watched death note and uh i feel like yeah many folks have have told me like get on that (laughs) i'm gonna encourage you
1: to definitely stick it out there's a lot of people in death note that have very serious opinions on how how the story goes and some people kind of drop off at a point
2: oh really okay
1: yeah so i would encourage you to to stick through because i think it's one of those ones where like the ending is really paramount and despite you know anything that happens in the middle that final little bit i think has a lot of extra impact once you make it through
2: interesting but it does have like a a moment in there of controversy and fall off. yeah there's like a
1: huge population of people who love that show up until X point, And then mm-hmm. they don't care or they stopped or right. they talk crap about the rest of it. But you know, it, people get serious opinions about stuff sometimes. Like I don't want to knock their opinions, but <laughs> I think, I think you can probably make it all the way through. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's one that I, I never watched a show either. I just
0: read the manga. So I just never bothered to watch a show. So it should mm-hmm. be on my list too, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, have you taken a plunge into One Piece?
2: <laughs> no, I see it staring at me from behind. Uh, from behind, Ryan. Yeah, uh, I I have not. Um, I think I don't. You have to like kind of take a couple months off. Yeah, uh,
0: you got to take out a. To Dude, I'm I'm so lucky. I had the baby when we did because uh, I had just dove into One Piece. Um, <laughs> I, I just randomly, I was just one day. I'm like, oh, One Piece is on Netflix. Let me just as I'm working out. Let me watch One Piece. As I'm on the treadmill, and it spiraled down to when was that, Ryan? Like it was like three months
1: sub- ago, four months. No, ago? no,
0: it's more than that, like five it's months ago. But okay. I've binged up to like episode 934 now. Yeah. In like the last, it's been stupid, but it's helpful when like you're feeding a baby and you're like, okay, I can watch like four episodes of One Piece in a row. Yeah. While I'm feeding a baby, so.
2: <laughs> aren't they? Up. Aren't they making a live action out of that yeah. as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Netflix what is adapting. What do you think about that?
1: You know, Uh, the actual uh, mangaka took time off for like the first time ever to go help with the production. Really? And I don't think that, you know, you're never going to get a perfect adaptation. It's so hard. And a lot of the times, like as a creative, who wants to do just a one for one kind of thing? But Mm -hmm. the One Piece is so out there. It's one of those anime that's like, really anime where people are just all different proportions and sizes and it all makes sense but like to somebody who's (laughs) outside looking in it's like wait where's like the the key art in here like how come everything looks so wacky and is so bizarre so Uh that's gonna be really hard to adapt and make feel
2: you know good interesting so you you mean just like the general like literal shape of things. Yeah. uh,
1: Like people have a long nose and it's not just like, like that's physically like how they are or people are like half giant or full giant. And it's like seeing all these wild proportions and everything is going to be probably, I think the hardest to make feel cohesive. Well, just even Luffy using his
0: abilities. Like they've done Mr.
1: Fantastic and stuff in (laughs) film. Yeah, I know. But like,
0: you know the gum gum gatling you know or like stretch like all of his <laughs> moves are stretches they're not just consistent punches i mean you're talking you know mr fantastic on like extra extra steroids yeah. like with his arms flailing everywhere it just doesn't it seems odd and like the shark um the fishman for example like how do you portray that in a good adaptation that it doesn't look weird
2: Right. Without like a massive production budget to yeah. it as well.
0: Um, and then to condense it, right? Like into whatever yeah. condensing it to, like you're talking 23 years of one piece that is still going on today, which now that I think about, it, I'm crazy how fast I watch it. <laughs> um, so 20, I did the same thing to Simpsons, by the way, like all yeah. episodes on Disney plus just like oh, wow. two months. Yeah, it was stupid. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I do it to myself, but You know, you're talking a lot of lore, a lot of character development, a lot of points that like have taken years and years to develop
1: it Mm -hmm. and then to trust Netflix with that. Mm. I mean, we'll see. (laughs) It makes sense. Like everybody's going to get a really nice paycheck out of this. You know, they will go through and make the attempt because of course, you know, they're going to want to, somebody's going to want to try it because if they make it work, the amount of content that's there, it's like a gold mine. Like, you know, right. They're bound to get something out of it, at least because it is so big, like enough people will watch it to make it justifiable. Uh-huh. And if it does become a success, there's so much one piece they can adapt that it could just be the money train. Right. Or they could just
0: fall off the face of the earth, like DBZ and avatar, the last airbender live actions
1: yeah but like one piece has so much to it like i would wager there's as much as we think of like dragon ball z as kind of like the popular face anime like there's so much one piece i got to imagine it would attract enough people no matter what to see Uh whether it's good bad or ugly they would want to see it right right hesitant (laughs) yeah (laughs) huh
2: i was wondering what they're going to uh, i mean again like like you said, some of the the motion of it, the look of it, so many of those things. It's like, is that inherently a disappointment if they don't go fully at it? If they're like, oh, his his long nose is in, indicated by his uh, this aspect of his personality now instead mm-hmm. of the actual physical thing. I mean, do you do you start to change what the meaning of of any given thing is, or do you just ignore that element completely? And then, I mean, simply the capability of making things like fights in anime come to life, because there's just stuff you can do in animation you simply cannot do in live action. And it's not to, not to say, not to take a shot at live action, it's just like they, they fill different, very different roles. And, and I guess it leads me to kind of question like, why besides money, are we even attempting this? <laughs>
0: yeah and when you think about even like the yelling right like that's where you all come in with as voice actors to kind of portray those characters like not all Mm -hmm. actors necessarily that are just on film actors are going to be sitting there yelling gum gum you know and (laughs) rampaging through in a battle like it's just not you know not anything against some actors but it's not like they're in the booth and that's you know the predominant focus of what they have is like those types of voices and right um so i do question like that as well but you know also how much are you going all in like to your point are you sticking with the long nose or are you saying this is kind of what this means as this character and what the personality as you had noted mm-hmm. um you know how deep do you go into this to kind of set expectations for fans that it's going to be like all in or hey this like This is what's going to be going on with this, so like, don't be super disappointed. Right. And we've all seen how the internet reacts with Sonic and other stuff, right? So (laughs) we'll we'll know like when the first trailer releases if this is going to bomb or if it's not, just based on fan reaction, I think alone, and whether it's worth pursuing.
2: Yeah, I I don't know. I gosh, so many thoughts. Because you're right, it's like this giant, as you said, you like it's this giant money machine. You're like, well, everyone's going to get a paycheck, and it's like. They could equally get a paycheck for doing something original, like but like let's say that One Piece, in and of itself, has a lot of um, a lot of uh, thematic content and storylines that are that are uh, worthy of being told again. Can can you not direct those funds at something that is similar but not it? In order to bring this sort of uh, this sort of um, creative property to life, but not have to be under the thumb of like, yeah, but it has to be one piece. Now, I grant you someone up top who is like ticking a balance sheet is probably like because it is one piece is what makes the money flow in. If we do some original thing, it's not going (laughs) to there's no guarantee. And I want to work on guarantees and not, uh, you know, speculation.
0: We had a a really similar discussion with Chuck Huber when it came down to um, like the Mario movie, right? And the decision to move forward instead of Charles Martinet, but, and I think you and I discussed this too um, back in October, but like the decision to go with like Jack Black and other high-profile A-list mm-hmm. celebrities right, to to move forward with this versus your Charles Martinet and other voice actors. And the idea is like the people up top are probably running a logarithm to say, here's so much money we'll bring in with these certain names attached. Yeah. So One Piece being the name of that IP is likely to generate more revenue versus something that's similar, but not One Piece with the name on it. So yeah. it, it does... I think come down to like, what's going to generate us a quick cash flow, And if the fans like it great, if they absolutely despise it, that's fine too. Cause we're going to make a certain amount of money from those that do enjoy it. And automatically whatever's being thrown to us. Um, right. So if it's Netflix doing it, like money comes in, Netflix is going to throw money regardless. Right. So all those actors that are in there, are like, well, I'm getting a paycheck. It's guaranteed for this amount and anything it makes beyond that. Great. If it bombs, well, I got paid. Um, so yeah, eight yeah it's it sucks like There's and I, a
2: bit of soul death in there somewhere um yeah
0: <laughs> well you know i guess we can dive in really quick on the discussion topic i had for yeah. a little oh, later yeah. was the last of us um have you seen that
2: i i haven't watched it yet you should. um it's and, great and i've i've heard i've heard nothing but good things Have you but played again it? it no go ahead have, have you, played you played it, it? Uh, i have uh okay. we've 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 played it um you know i actually haven't i don't think i actually ever finished it <laughs> whoops yeah <no> um, worries. <laughs> you only have to play the first half to see episode one so you're there you go uh yes and i definitely have played the first half um and and uh i guess it brings me back to my question um why so, why like it, 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 it yeah. the, and that and that may be again, I, I don't say why to to strike out at people who are going to enjoy The Last of Us on TV. Um, but the why for me comes to like it's it seems I don't see there being a necessity beyond money like the the game or or, or, and maybe it reaches a new audience. But for me, I'm I'm starting to realize that personally, I don't always want to experience something in more than one medium. Like if I experienced it as a game and I loved it. I don't need to see it as a TV show or a stage play or read the book of it necessarily. I'm saying Can that. Can get and I'm the like, Mario book? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> I said that jumps. and I'm like, I'm going to read the manga of Demon Slayer. But at the same time, right, uh, it's it. And this may be just a personal preference, but uh, I, I always find myself watching things that come out again and again and again. Um, and I'm wondering, why are we doing it? And now, granted, I say this with the caveat of like, I watched The Witcher, but I haven't played The Witcher. Um, but I don't know if I'm going to play The Witcher now having watched The Witcher, but I don't know if I would do it vice versa either. And there are a lot of people who are going to be actively typing comments right now of like, you should play that. <laughs> like, well, and the as is fantastic. As a book. And it started
0: as a book, right? Mm-hmm. And a book's fantastic, by the way. And the show is loosely based on the book in a sense um there was a lot as i was reading because i after witcher i was actually like oh cool well i want to read the books now so Mm -hmm, totally mm -hmm. opposite it's like no i don't want to play the video game i want to see where it first started (laughs) right and um there's actually something a lot of things that were pulled in and as i was reading like oh cool that happened in the show but as you watch the show you're like whoa they like went very far off Mm -hmm. from the source material and that's obviously why Henry Cavill, one of the reasons why he's no longer on it. So I yeah. think after season three, I'm done
2: watching the uh, Witcher*. Me too. He yeah. is—he is definitely the soul of that show for me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Once that's <clears> once <throat> things I think it's out, a, no. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a very dumb move um, um, on their part. But yeah, I—I guess—and—and and there I just like even contradicted myself in, <laughs> in in a slight moment where I'm like, I don't know, but I've also participated. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the Last of Us,
0: you know, being one of those. And I'm with you on the aspect of I played the game Last of Us. It's, it's one of those things. Like, it's, I think there's a difference between if it's something that was like Super Nintendo, like Sonic, for example, right? An adaptation mm-hmm. of Sonic, I'm okay with because there's not a whole lot of, like, story-driven elements to Sonic. Like, there are in the games you play, but not, like, story-story-driven elements to mm-hmm. Sonic like there are if Last of Us were. With Last of Us, you could clip out every single... um you know, uh, video that's in there, like main videos of the characters, and f- put out a full movie, right? With the yeah. amount of cutscenes that are in that game.
2: Right. So it is, it is already a show. Yeah. In and of itself, mm, if you yeah. take away the parts where you're just like kind of constantly dying, getting past challenges, it is essentially a show. And from my understanding, aren't they kind of just one for oneing it? Yeah, it's almost like like I was watching video of the game itself
0: and like the clip of a scene, and it's literally one for one. Now that's yeah. what happens when you have the you know one of the the main folks in Last of Us, the creator of that,
1: diving in and helping direct mm. the well, show as well. They they prohibited any of the actors from playing the game. Interesting. Oh, the showrunners oh. told them huh. not to. Hmm. Like, and that's supposed to make their performance better or that's supposed to get fans of the game excited about the show, knowing that the people portraying those characters don't have any backstory or or their own point of reference from the original material. That seems like a foolish choice. I think that's right. good, though. I kind of do like that
0: um, because it allows them to put their their own feelings into those characters as they're playing it. And they, if as long as they have, but it's already
1: one for one, like, shouldn't they
0: be working with the best information possible? They have, (laughs) they have the director of the original game directing them in the show. So I think you're also going to get like, as long as you have a good director, which they do in this instance to kind of say, here's what we need to do. I think you're, you're okay. In that respect, it'd be one thing if it was like Guillermo del Toro was the one directing this and, said no you can't watch it and i'm gonna put my own spin on it like you have naughty dogs sitting there saying no this is how it needs to go mm-hmm. so i think there's a difference in in that for a one for one versus like somebody of very little knowledge decided oh i have this thing that i need to direct let me play the game to get a little more like information on how it should be portrayed and then putting their own spin on it so i think there's a difference there but I will say that my wife and I were watching last of us. She had no sort of experience with the games whatsoever. She watched the show truly enjoyed episode one. Can't wait for the next episode, uh, which airs tonight, technically um, Mm -hmm. even though we release this on Monday (laughs) and um, she wants to play the game now because of that, Hmm. because of that show. So I, I think, You know, part of the cash grab aspect, I totally understand what they're doing. Like, it's going to generate money. And as long as it's well produced and well directed, it's going to generate money. And then it's going to pull in, as you had noted, new fans to say, oh, I never played Last of Us. Oh, PS5 has a remake of number one. Let me go ahead and spend $70 on this game
2: that's come out on PS3, PS4 and PS5. Right. Well, let me let me pitch to you what I think is possibly the better way of going about this whole TV game sort of thing uh, cyberpunk that, that does not exist in the game. Uh, the anime does not, does not, it is not the game, but it is within the world. And then people go and play the game. And I feel like there's reason behind that because they are two separate things. Um, whereas just kind of like doing a one for one feels weird to me, um, where it's just like, I, I'm curious actually for someone who watches the film and then goes and plays the game. Are they going to be like, Oh, well, well, this is just exactly the same thing, except I, I like people more or someone's like, Oh, I like the, the, uh, the animation more, uh, the, that, that they put into the game. And it's just like, just a matter of preference. It's like, how do you want your burger prepared? Um, but it's always a burger. Uh, th- that's not a useful <laughs> analogy. <laughs> I'm, but, I'm no philosopher. Don't worry. <laughs> so
0: I guess if this only be an episode one, though, we don't fully know. Like, I don't think we could fully judge to say it's going to be a one for one, the entirety of the series. Yeah. So, I mean, unless they've stated that, which I haven't heard that they've stated that. So I, I don't know. But like, there are clear differences. Right. What I've watched so far. Um, in comparison to the game. So there are one for one instances, but there are differences as well. And I don't think you can ever make a one to one video game to me. I mean, maybe you can, they'll surprise us, but I don't (laughs) think you can
2: truly do that. No, and probably, nor should you. I mean, like, um, to that degree, you want things to be able to have their own life and not necessarily be, uh, withheld. I, I mean, if anything, it would be an artistic experiment. Um, I I don't know. I, I Here's the thing. I'm kind of like the personality of like nothing is without some merit, but I just like whenever these things get done, I, I cast a healthy amount of side eye to like even, even some of the conversations that we end up having out of it where it's like, well, should they really, or aren't they doing this? And I'm like, we're now no longer connecting with the story at all when we're doing these things. We're just wondering whether they paid the proper amount of fan service. It's why I don't, and this is going to be an unpopular opinion, really like a lot of like where where Marvel's getting off to. Um, because I just, or, or or many, many things where we are making content and, and trying to finally thread in fan service uh, period which I, I guess is fine there's a reason these things exist it's just I don't know uh, I I think that it it um. I just can't imagine again where hundreds of millions of dollars put towards something original wouldn't be money better spent yeah that's <laughs> um, just know? all
1: the studios these days they just they won't take the risk so it's all about existing IP and what can we get for reliable returns? Like, yeah. I'm with I mean, the business. Creative right? stuff is way better. Like, give me something new and original. Like, we've mentioned that on games all
0: the time. Like, remakes upon remakes upon remasters and remakes of remasters. Like, mm-hmm. it's going, it's driving us crazy. Like, new content, like, new <clears throat> IPs would be fantastic. And there are. Oh, but, yeah. There, there definitely are. Yeah. Yeah. There's tons of them. But at the same time, it's like Final Fantasy seven, right? Like, It's clearly a remake, but it's a different spin on it. And it's something, Mm -hmm. you know, I kind of like the idea of remaking Final Fantasy seven and even eight in like a remake type setting, not a remaster, but there's other games that they're like remastering and it's like, well, couldn't you put your efforts towards the development team of Final Fantasy seven? So it's released on a, you know, every year basis versus every four years per Mm. chapter of this. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, it's just. As much money as it can make, unfortunately. And we're seeing that with things like Wizards and their OGL and all the craziness going around with that, right? Yeah. Like it's just very much financially driven nowadays for these creative properties and yeah, kind of sucks at the same time. Cause we enjoy them so much.
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess it would probably be naive to say that it hasn't always had a healthy amount of financial drive behind it. And, no, you know, I eat my own hat with the thing like final fantasy seven. Cause I was excited. I was like, Oh my gosh, I get to be a part of this thing that is from uh, my youth. But i don't know i i still i still maintain the skepticism um of the reasoning behind it and and if the reasoning seems to be just to like i don't know fill fill the bank up and maybe we fill the bank up so that we can spend it on a couple of new things but like last of us didn't exist at one point in time and then it did and it made some fantastic waves and i think like revisiting it is like I don't know. It's not like there's not merit there, Um, but just, I don't know. It seems like, it seems like too obvious a thing Mm -hmm. Um, for my taste to be like, I guess I can watch it and it'll be, it'll be cool. There'll be, you know, yeah, I don't Uh, think I won't be entertained. (laughs) I think timing has a lot to do
1: with some of these things too. Like, I don't think people really get offended by bringing something back from the past and giving it new life but when you take something that's still alive and that's when it seems like it's a cash grab like this Um. thing hasn't even had time to settle in and become a part of the cultural lexicon like bring something back for the next generation so that they can get their take on it but don't just keep milking the same thing over and over right. year after year. But the cow still has milk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's infinite milk. It's hey Ryan, infinite milk.
0: <laughs> but Ryan, I, I think this would actually be a good tie into our, our next discussion topic that mm-hmm. we had here. Uh, the number one topic. What's the you number gotta, one topic? The number one topic. Well, it's listed one, two, three, four. So oh, it's yeah. The number one. The number the one topic. first and, topic. And, and number one, actually. Looks just... The best topic
1: all right so give okay, ryan well,
0: plenty of time he hasn't found yeah it.
1: what's a nostalgic gaming right. memory you have that's it that's, that's the one, one.
0: <laughs> that's the one all puns intended oh geez uh it's got so many um i can so... kick us off really quick yeah do please so um for me and i brought this up i think a few times in the past but donkey kong country three on the super nintendo my brother and I played the shit out of that game when we were kids and he was actually just in town recently. And it's funny to kind of go back to like literally the same game, like my original copy on super Nintendo, his original save data, my save data on there. Like we played our exact cart from when we were kids uh, a few weeks ago (laughs) and we would spend hours just playing this game and like chasing banana birds, going through levels, trying to find the bonuses without any sort of internet help. Obviously back then, uh, no game guy, just like, oh, cool. There's a bonus here. Oh, there's a secret level, like, or secret area. Like, let's go in the bat. And so that for me was always nostalgic. So when he was in town, I'm like, let's play some donkey Kong country three while you're here. And just blaze through it see how fast we can beat it uh we ended up not beating it because we had some input lag issues with the tv we were using uh <laughs> but my wife was sitting next to us as we were playing and as we we're playing i'm like oh there's a wind barrel right there and he's like oh yeah i know and he's like jumping into the wind barrel he's like all right level complete i'm like all right let's go to the next level and he's like there's a bonus and i'm like yeah but we're trying to speed through this as fast as we can he's like well, what about the life up top there so like we played these games so many times as we were kids so coming back to it I guess it would be 28 years later or so. And you still remember we the placement still remembered of all the objects. Every placement. Like there's three lives up there. There's one life over here. Oh, go down to this area. There's a, a bear coin in this area. Like we just knew. And it was like, Damn. oh, wind barrel, top left corner. Oh yeah, that's right. Let me jump into that. So like we we're just <laughs> blazing through this game and just had a ton of fun. Uh, even in like the hour or two that we played, um, I think we got through like three or four worlds in the time that we played just because yeah. we we knew where everything was and it was just so fluid for us to jump through even with the input lag it was just God, those memories were there you, and we were you able should to all like
2: through. you should like get a couple you should reach out to your local neuroscientists and yes. and uh, invite them over and have them like monitor you because like like finding out where that if they can chart where these like deep deep memory stores are or something i feel like there's i feel like there's some uh, I feel like there's some good research to be done yeah,
1: unlock human potential your, <laughs> unlock there, there's got to be something potential.
0: there I, yeah and me in right. particular like when it comes to games of at nature, like platformers in general are pretty easy for me but my wife was playing bloodborne for the mm-hmm. first time a while back and i love bloodborne and she was like well i want something in the soul series i'm like well if there's an easy one to play it's bloodborne I'm like, because the other ones are actually kind of difficult. Bloodborne's probably like from a learning curve perspective, probably the easiest one to dive into in my perspective right. and uh or my opinion. And um she dove in. And I'm like, oh yeah, go to this corner. There's gonna be blood vials or go here. And like realize that I only played Bloodborne like one time all the way through. Yeah. So it's not like I consistently played this game over and over, but there's something about like video games in general where there's just like the spatial awareness of what yeah. there is in the level and where certain things are. And just those memories kind of
2: trigger, not everything triggers, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that can stay memorable in a game. And you just mm-hmm. remember them years yeah. later. You're good at mapping virtual space or just mapping in general. Oh, uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I can,
0: I can grid all of the Phoenix Metro area in my head <laughs> and where I need to go. Like, I don't need a GPS. I use it because it's a little more convenient to find certain stores. But if Ryan right. said, Hey, I need to go to the corner of this and this out in like Glendale. I'd be like, okay, cool. Got
2: you like. covered. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, my, my fiance as, as, and I, as we're playing Genshin, she didn't grow up playing as, as much, uh, as many games as I did. Um, and she'll frequently like kind of get lost. And I'll realize that I'll, I'll come in and it'll be an area that I've only maybe like seen little bits and bobs of as I'm passing through the, the house at the time. And I'll be like, here, here, and this, uh, give me the controller. And I'll find myself wandering around and being like, Oh no, it's, it's back this way. It's around this corner and through uh, down this uh, cave entrance here. And I'm like, I've I've seen this maybe once as I was passing through with chips, but there's like something about it. I feel like <laughs> there's a different. I don't know if it's a different mentality that you that you start to get like if you're introduced to it young or or what it is about like pathfinding in these games. Um, that maybe there's just something that uh, that you really connect with. It's like a Um, language and and a skill set
1: both because like most maps are going to be laid out in some kind of way that makes sense from the design and just being exposed to enough of it through gaming Mm -hmm. is going to let you in on some of those little, oh, it's probably this kind of way thing. But it's also like just controlling games like when you think about an experienced gamer versus somebody who doesn't have experience, like just trying to walk around and aim in a first person shooter is like yeah. its own thing that gets refined and refined and refined over time. And, and how much of this is also knowledge. Yeah. And how much of this is also developed from the fact
0: that, you know, the three of us grew up in gaming, like the super Nintendo and Nintendo was already there. So it wasn't like we were, you know, on the Atari and then jumping into these new controllers. Like we've been, you know dealing with controller mapping and Mm -hmm. world building and development our entire lives so when it comes down to now in our 30s and playing these games it's just it's natural
2: right right it comes very easy yeah Yeah. it's, it's it's actually leads me into a um something that i experienced over the holidays uh with my nephew who is is very much into gaming now as well and and maybe maybe a a A pitfall for my own uh, gaming development and a small ray of hope for the metaverse to come. Um, He had uh, one of the uh, Oculus sets on. He was playing Blade and Sorcery. And uh, he was flying through like he was just super freaking human. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to put one of those on or play it but he is just the way in which he just started like moving around with the controls and everything. And and of course I'm watching cause I haven't actually, I hadn't put it on yet. And so I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm just seeing him go around and eviscerate everything in the level. And I'm like, Oh, this seems like a, you know, this seems like a pretty easy game. This will be easy to get the hang of. And I throw the thing on and immediately I'm getting like freaking motion sickness. <laughs> I can barely move myself forward. And it gave me this whole new level of respect. Cause I was like, I was like, Tiernan, how are you, how, how are you understanding this so quickly and so very inherently? Like, like the way in which I was moving compared to the way in which he was moving and navigating the space, he took to that controller and to that environment, uh, like, like, uh, just so easily. And, and there was just an effortlessness to it. And meanwhile, I'm just freaking disoriented beyond belief. Um it, granted that's it's it is in a slightly different way. It, it is a a slightly different way of controlling uh and moving through a virtual world. But he had this sense of like the ground beneath him in the physical space. He was able to like kind of have a separate awareness of the room that he was in and also a very uh, distinct awareness of how to then make. The character move in the virtual world and meld those two together without losing his bearings and i was like it was just an amazing thing to witness (laughs) so i had a very similar experience to you Uh, so i psvr the original
0: one and been playing beat saber we played moss we're currently playing ghost giant my wife and i Mm -hmm. and uh, she loves a vr system but i was like you know let me try out doom and let me see how i feel with doom same experience you talked about i just had the controller i'm moving the character and i was literally wobbling as i was playing i'm like whoa what the hell's going on like i'm trying to just move through these levels and i couldn't it was just the motion sickness kicked in right away i literally i felt like i was drunk walking um just like side (laughs) to side swaying as i'm trying to play this game like i need to sit down (laughs) to play it um it's still a cool experience in general, but the motion sickness kind of goes away after a while. Like mm-hmm. when, even when I started playing Beat Saber, I get motion sickness and then that just I could play for like 45 minutes to an hour and it's all good now. So that that takes time to build. apparently. Right.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. It could be just a thing like, right. That is uh, just a hump to get over. Yeah. I mean, with anything, just a little bit of a learning curve. I realized that I never actually uh, answered the nostalgic memory question. I was going to ask you about that one. Oh. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, actually, it, it kind of dovetails into some of this uh, stuff. There was there was like I remember <laughs> my first encounter with VR was uh, it was at a gosh, it was a game store of some sort, and they were like testing it out. This was probably like fifteen twenty years ago. And it was like, oh, my God, VR, this is going to be the next thing, maybe even 25 years ago. And they had Hexen on it. And we got into a VR set, played Hexen, and then VR disappeared for like... (laughs) for like freaking two decades it did not work out but i remember that was like the first thing i played in a vr space and i was like okay this is fine the technology was not there (laughs) um and it was you had to go to like actually this was like an arcade where one of the experiences was being hooked Mm -hmm. up to a -hmm. a vr set and it definitely just like it it disappeared it went back into like r&d and then came to be what we are um yeah But I'm I'm like looking through some of the things as I was thinking about this question, I'm reading through all of my examples of like uh, of nostalgic memories. And most of them are about me being terrified by games when I was young, (laughs) like Coleco games, like Venture uh, and Adventure. And it was mostly like there was this green thing that would appear on the on the peripheral of the of the uh, map in Venture uh it like a l- little weird looking Cthulhu monster that would like go through walls right to you and kill you. And it had a weird like whoosh, 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 like a weird sound <laughs> as- associated with it. It's probably not even the right one. It probably triggers in my dreams. Um, but uh, <laughs> talk about pulling in the brain sciences. Right? <laughs> oh God yeah, it was terrifying. Um, but that's one that I, I like I remember. I remember being terrified by Doom. Speaking of Doom, when I was a kid, I remember like I had to take a step back and instead play like Spear of Destiny or Blakestone, where I was like, OK, I can't go full demon, but Nazis are are like more <laughs> comprehensible to my brain. Demons in our own respect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and even Blakestone Stone uh, was a little bit weird, but I could I could deal with that. I was like, all right, space aliens seemed seemed uh, seemed uh, more doable. Um, and then like, uh, like Max Payne entering the fun house for the first time was very disorienting and like, and terrifying itself. Um, uh, thief, there was something, there was a moment in thief where I I realized that I couldn't kill these skeletons or I didn't know how to, and it like scared me as a kid, (laughs) but it was also like one of a, a very, a very, um, it was one of those problem solving triumphs now looking back at my youth where I I found like a creative ways around different things. And I remember feeling like intensely rewarded for being like, Oh, I don't have to kill everything in a video game. And this video game has the forethought to set it up. So you, you're not supposed to. Um, and I don't know, there was just kind of like a thrill of that, that discovery, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. God, I'm trying to think of some some of these other. Th- I have a lot of different examples. You ever you ever play Jedi Knight? Uh, I didn't. Which... One uh, Dark Forces two. Yeah. no, I didn't play that one. Okay, God, there was there uh, dumb video game mechanics tickled me as a kid, <laughs> and you could force push uh, things once you got the power, and you're in a dockyard, and there are these like random workers or you know the like little atmospheric characters around but if you went up and force pushed them you would fling them into space <laughs> and w- my friends and I we spent a good like 20 to 30 minutes just flinging things trying to trying to bounce them off the wings of the of the jet that we had parked there <laughs> and and like trying to get the angle just right so we could get maximum you know maximum uh maximum lift and airtime out of these out of their bodies um it it was kind of like the equivalent of 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 like playing with of like terrible kids playing with insects. Um, but these were, you know, they were they were on a computer screen. We yeah, weren't actually yeah, killing. Good. We weren't killing <laughs> anything. It was only representational. Um, <laughs> so but it was that we didn't even play the level. We're just like, let's see how far we can lob people. Um, Those
1: are some of the most memorable, like when you can <clears throat> break a game and make your own fun. Oh we,
0: yeah, absolutely. We did a similar thing, red faction, on the PS two years ago. And you could actually use rocket launchers to destroy certain like the whole con not the whole concept, but like you're on Mars is like this you're a worker being enslaved on Mars and your goal was to get off Mars, right? In this mining facility. But they had the multiplayer of bots, and you could put like 20 bots, I think, in, and then you had multiplayer with yeah. the bots. And so uh, one of the big things of Red Faction is destructive environments. So you can blow up holes in walls, you can right. blow out chunks of a corner, you can blow up the ground, various things. And so my brother and I learned if we put on like unlimited rocket launchers and all we did was like blow up this one level, we can make a giant pit. And all the bots would fall into the pit, but not kill each other for some strange reason. And we could lob little flamethrower balls into the pit. <laughs> so that was pretty rough. Uh, but we also found out uh, C4 explosives in the game. What we would do is we'd lob a C4 in a wall and you only had like two and then you had to click it. So we found out, well, if I lob two in the wall and you kill me really quick, I can then come back and lob two more. And we would just make this chain of C4 explosives for oh, nice. the entire level and set one off and just the whole level oh, would knows. just like blow oh my um God. It, it was insane but we used to do you know fun within the game right just kind of screwing around like yeah we had played enough multiplayer and got good at it we were just like let's just mess around and blow crap up
2: those are some of the some of the best absolutely where you're you're just you're kind of using what the <laughs> and i can't imagine as a dev you wouldn't feel this way too where you're like i love seeing what people can then create out of uh, we we they obviously like they're like we're coding this to be a certain experience but then having people come in and like break that experience mm-hmm. and seeing what human ingenuity brings to the table within that space is like super cool
0: well i guess that's what i have beta testing nowadays so we can't do those things right <laughs> <laughs> I mean, human ingenuity fun. human ingenuity and then fix it
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> do you ever watch uh speed running I, I just got done watching adgq last week and that's like that whole side of gaming is just people doing the most to break the game. However yeah. they can.
2: The last, um, you know, the last speed run I, uh, video I watched was the breath of the wild one mm. where it's, uh, About
0: 50 times within a, a day or something. Is that, um, I'm thinking
2: of? no, it, it was some, some weird way in which you can, it, it was using like weird shield bouncy hacks and the person like shield bounces their way into Ganon at the end, they they bounce the entire from like the tower all over <laughs> Hyrule <laughs> and just land in the castle. It's it's remarkable that they were able to like also have the aim to be able to do it. Um, it's just fantastic. Some of the feats they can get. So I think that was the one I that was the one I watched. But I'll
0: I'll have to go there's check so out many. some more speed run. Yeah, there's a good one of Elden Ring too. I oh forget. yeah, yeah. There's some good ones with that game too. I bet. Um, let's see. I know time wise, we got a lot going here. So let's, Sorry, uh, let's skip over the topic <laughs> I had on, um, industry viability. If we have you on in the future, can we could definitely yeah. jump into that one. But, uh, this, this last topic, um, puppeteer work. Oh uh, yeah. 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 I, <laughs> I brought this up cause I, when I was chatting with you a while back, I recall you mentioning that you did puppeteer work. I'm like, it's yeah. actually a pretty interesting, like, you know, I don't know if it's, career-wise or side gig or how you do it nowadays I, I don't remember that part of the conversation but there were some tie-ins i think to guerrilla games as well yeah um, with puppeteer work so i thought we can dive into that a little bit too
2: absolutely yeah now puppeteering is is something that kind of like again the entertainment industry leading you in very weird places it kind of came into my life when i auditioned for avenue q in new york Ooh. and uh you know it's big show with puppets and they put you through puppet camp. And I was lucky enough to like, um, to get uh callbacks and to get pretty far along in the process for the Broadway show and the tour. Um, and, and I got to go to like puppet training sessions. And so that was my first exposure to it. Uh, I obviously did not book that. Um, and, um, that was, that was a bummer. I was like looking forward to, you know, I was very excited about the, about the show. It's, it's a fun one. And, um, being a part of that. Um, I got to do it later on when I came to Los Angeles, uh, which was pretty cool. But before that, then I I had that experience is very niche, right? So when you have it, you start finding a lot of these interesting opportunities. And I I got involved with a show called Finding Nemo the Musical down at uh, Disney World. And that was really fun because it was one of those, they were talking about putting a... Uh, product into different mediums they made a 30-minute musical out of finding nemo um which actually had some interesting creative merit because you see the performers and the puppets on stage at the same time as you would in uh avenue q um and that's kind of how they dealt with with that with uh staging the production and uh there, there were some interesting moments there was one moment at the end of that show that they actually cut out um which I thought was super cool uh, and artsy, and maybe it maybe it wasn't it probably wasn't right for the actual uh, show, but where they had us lower the puppets at the end of it and have uh, for the very last moment where Nemo and and Marlin like say where he says goodbye to his son, and it was like they would lower the puppets and then it was just like human saying goodbye to human son. And I was like, oh, oh, my artistic heart like (laughs) skipped a beat. I was like, you tie it all together. And it's like, it's about us, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but it's probably one of those things where it's like, of course it's about us, dummy. It's very on the nose. Um, I liked it. Uh, And, and so, yeah, that's, that's where I really got more involved in, in puppets with like uh, mechanical puppets, uh, Michael Curry style puppets. Um, and from there, when I moved out to LA, again more opportunities. I did Aladdin uh, at um, uh, Disneyland, and I played Iago, which is a puppeteered role. Uh, I started working at the Natural History Museum, where I I puppeteered um, a Triceratops and a saber tooth cat, and uh, it was it was fun. We were doing educational programs, and we. Uh, there are a bunch of puppeteers over there it's it's this weird community that finds itself in very uh odd and unique places and one of my friends who is a brilliant and a very good uh very fantastic um just artist and puppet builder you know he did he did puppets for a lot of he's like every every music artist every now and again wants they're like, let's do a music video with puppets, and he's yeah. like, and then I get hired to do it. <laughs> but they only do one of them, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, um, on the Aladdin one,
0: so did you do Iago's voice
2: as well? The uh, yes, I, not not like we all kind of had our own. We weren't like doing Gilbert Gottfried no, impressions. No, That's but,
0: a whole totally different level.
2: Yeah, we were we were kind of hinting at that because he has. He has that personality anyways, yeah. so you mm-hmm. kind of get it. Gilbert Gottfried's voice and doing an impression of it is, of course, a brilliant window into that personality to begin with, but we weren't, like, mandated. Yeah. Nice. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was super fun um, <laughs> just to, to do that. And, and then all those experiences led to us, uh, our team at the museum actually being tapped to uh, work on The Watcher, for Gorilla Games. Um, and that was super cool. They were doing a, a promotional thing. And, and again, where puppets get used, they get used occasionally in like, let's do a commercial with puppets. Let's do a promotion with puppets. Um, and, and it was funny because sometimes they don't always know who to, they don't necessarily know that people exist out there who have that skill set. So you're just like, let's just get some beefy dudes to, to do it. And it's not always the right answer. Um, because you, uh, a, they may not, they may not fit into the costume. B, they don't necessarily have puppeteering experience, which is like, there's a lot of acting behind it. There's a lot of knowing where your focus is so that the things like looking in, in, in the right direction, the thing has a life of its own. It is breathing, maybe not if it's a watcher, but you know, it is, um, it has a curiosity or an intelligence behind it. Uh, whatever level that intelligence is. But that's another acting thing that just having someone who can physically lift an object or inhabit a suit uh, isn't necessarily uh, going to have the easiest time communicating without some sort of an acting background or some sort of a consideration towards that. Um, and it was really neat with the Watcher, like kind of developing our personalities through it. And each one of us had a different personality in the Watcher itself and it was just fun to like kind of that was my first experience going to cons and um i remember i got to go up to some of my friends who were on the final fantasy 15 uh panel they were they were signing they were doing stuff that i do at cons now and meanwhile i was just like i'm a guy in a suit <laughs> like, <laughs> we've been in workshops together isn't this so cool and they're probably meanwhile like they thought it was cool but i'm i'm sure they're like we've got a very long line and we need to sign pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, beep, beep. I'm, uh, I'm not in this game, but this is going to be fun. Um, I, I love it. Uh, honestly, uh, <laughs> in, a, in a semi-sad note, I had to like stop saying that I was a puppeteer mm-hmm. because when I started introducing myself as a puppeteer before I was getting involved in voiceover, that was the first thing people heard. And it's such one of the, it's one of those unique enough things that people were like, Oh, that's Mark. He just does puppets and the nothing. Puppet else. Guy. The puppet guy. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had to be like, no, I, I do other things. And after, <laughs> after enough time banging my head against the wall with that, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to experiment with not telling people that I'm a puppeteer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's when I start, you know, that's when opportunities started to come out of the woodwork in other fashions. I don't know if it was necessarily that in particular, but um, it's funny. That puppeteer captured so many people's imaginations up front that I was like, I have to take that, that shiny <laughs> object away.
0: <laughs> Here's Mark, you know, trying to audition for a role in Final Fantasy 16. And they hear puppeteer like, oh, you could be a Shiva puppet. That's yeah, what, she'll yeah, be. That's what yeah. you're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> so we you have a commercial a... built Shiva. Yeah, we need a puppeteer.
2: That's it. You're gonna do. Everyone's gonna know that you're. They're not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, there's there. I really have a have a a lot of respect for that that line of work uh, as well. Um, <laughs> I think it's uh, it's fantastic. It's uh, uh, there are a lot of cool opportunities and cool things that can get done with puppets. It's just that was just another aspect of my my time in the business. And who knows, maybe things will come up again. If I had an opportunity to pop back into the watcher suit, I would totally do it because yeah. it's, it's just so much fun.
1: Yeah. Well, stuff. So, you know, just before we wrap up here, like what can we look forward to maybe seeing from you in 2023? Are there any projects or anything you could kind of let us in on to keep an eye out for? Yeah. Uh,
2: unfortunately, I'm not able to talk about anything in any amount of detail because it's, you know, every, <laughs> everything NDA. is under an NDA. No detail um, allowed. No detail allowed. No detail and, agreement. No, but, but uh, I guess I guess I can probably say on the surface that uh, I am <laughs> I am in my first project uh, that is a motion capture project, and I'm oh. very excited about it. Um, and it's the first opportunity that I've had to do uh, performance in that regard, which is something I've always wanted to get uh, more involved in. You know, talking about The Last of Us and things like Uncharted and um, You know, but so so many games are using it now Uh, and that that project should you never know. It's games, right? (laughs) They could come out at any given old time, Um, but it should release this year. But who knows? Uh, Might release in another year or two. But that one is impending and I'm very excited for it. Um, uh, It's just been a real joy to like work in the volume and in that new way. Uh, and knock on wood that there's even more of that to come, but certainly there's one of them. Uh, and when I can talk about that, I'd be more than happy to.
0: So we can expect you at future conventions with the dot suit and everything running yes, around and autographed. All right, nice.
2: <laughs> you get to keep yeah. it. Yeah, so that's, that, that's, um, that's coming up, and I'm very, very excited for that. Other than that, uh, you know, hopefully more bits and bobs coming out here and there. Yeah. Um, I mean, with that question, I really can't answer anything. I know we're doing more of the podcast, the hotel Yay. and the theater of tomorrow. So um, nice. keep eyes out and uh, ears out for that. Uh, Cause those are both really cool. And I actually, I actually do very much like the audio drama medium too. There's a lot of, a lot of neat stuff that can be done there. So hopefully we'll, we'll be revisiting theater of tomorrow and we'll be continuing on with the hotel. Very sounds nice. Great. Uh, where
0: can folks find
2: you? Uh, you can find me uh, on Instagram, M. Witten, on Twitter for as long as, you know, I'm on Twitter. <laughs> I'm actually not terribly socially active, um, but you can definitely, for like any announcements, I, I, I do like to announce what I'm in or where I'm going to be appearing. Uh, Twitter's another good one, at M.P. Witten. And then the podcasts are on wherever you get podcasts, Spotify, uh, iTunes, um, any any podcatcher is probably going to have them. And that's the theater of tomorrow with an R.E. and the hotel.
0: Very nice. Well, Mark, uh, we definitely appreciated having you on this episode. Uh, It was fantastic to talk to you again.
2: Yeah. Great talking with you as well. Thank you so much for having me and um, looking forward to popping back on. Sounds great. Well, uh,
0: this has been episode 219 of the Game of Flavors podcast. My name's John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening.